Everybody has a story. Everyone is on a journey. And as we look in God's Word this morning, I want to help us all to just stop and think about our story. To think about our lives. And as a basis for that, we're going to look at Acts chapter 22. Acts chapter 22. We're going to look at Paul's story in summary format. And looking at his story is going to help us to think about our story, and specifically, our spiritual journey. So keeping that in mind, Acts chapter 22, verse 1. Acts chapter 22, verse 1. I'd like to ask you this morning, if you are physically able to please stand with me in honor of the reading of God's Word. Truth with no mixture of error. I believe the Bible. I believe the Word of God, and I'm grateful that it is a foundation for my life and for our ministry here at Longview Point Baptist Church. Acts chapter 22, verse 1. The Bible says, Brothers and fathers, this is Paul speaking, hear the defense that I now make before you. And when they heard that he was addressing them in the Hebrew language, they became even more quiet. And he said, I am a Jew born in Tarsus in Cilicia, but... Brought up in this city, he was in Jerusalem, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. I persecuted this way, speaking of Christianity, to the death, binding and delivering to prison both men and women, as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, And I journeyed toward Damascus to take those also who were there and bring them in bonds to Jerusalem to be punished. As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me. And I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I answered, Who are you, Lord? And he said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me saw the light, but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. Let's pray together. Father, we pause today to give you glory. We remember your faithfulness. We remember your grace. We remember your mercy. We remember your love. And we remember today that you are with us. You'll never leave us nor forsake us. And we understand, Lord, that when we gather together to worship, you draw near and inhabit the praises of your people. Lord, when we draw near to you, you draw near to us. And we are grateful this morning for your nearness. And so, Lord, as we continue to worship by studying your word, I pray that you would speak to us in a mighty way. I pray that by your spirit you would take the word of God and grip our hearts with it. And we'll thank you and praise you for that grace. We love you. We exalt you. We desire for the mighty name of Jesus to be exalted in our midst. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. 
We've been following Paul on his missionary journeys, and at the end of his third missionary journey, uh, Paul returns to Jerusalem, the city that he grew up in, and he goes back to Jerusalem to meet with the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. Now, the Holy Spirit had revealed to Paul that when he returned to Jerusalem, he would encounter hardship, that he would be arrested, uh, he would go through imprisonment uh, when he returned back to that city. And when he gets back to the city in chapter 21, he has some time meeting with the leaders, but then we see that a mob forms, the, the Jews are are inciting the people to come against Paul because they were telling the people that Paul was against Jewish customs and uh, the Jewish law and the law of Moses. And so they uh, whipped up a mob into a frenzy and the Roman uh, soldiers there to keep order in the city, here there's a mob, they show up and say, what's going on? And they see that this mob has grabbed Paul and is about to kill him. So the Roman soldiers stop the mob and they grab Paul and they're taking Paul away from the mob. And as they're doing that, Paul said to uh, the leader of the Roman soldiers in Greek, so he'd understand, uh, listen, uh, I want to speak to the people. And so he lets Paul address the people. And then Paul, in Hebrew, he knew both languages, begins to address the Jewish people. And he wants to tell them his story. He wants to magnify the grace of God to these people. They understand who he is and what the Lord has done for him. And so that's where we pick up the story. Paul is addressing this mob of people who want him dead. And it takes great courage to do what Paul does in this passage. But we see him telling his story. And again, as we look at Paul's story in summary form, it's going to help us to think about our story. And specifically, I have three questions that I want to pose to you about your story that we'll see surface from our text this morning. So three questions I want to ask, and hopefully you can answer this morning so you can think about where you are in your spiritual journey. Hey, just FYI, heads up, we may not finish the sermon this morning, but that's okay. I don't know that I've ever really finished a sermon. I just have to quit some at some point. Uh, but, but we're going to get through as much as we can. We may finish it. We'll just see how that goes. But three questions to think about our story. Here's the first question. You ready? This is a big one. This is so very important. Does your past define you or does it magnify the grace of God? Does your past define you Or does it magnify the grace of God? Did you notice here that Paul spent some time talking about his past? As we see Paul talk about his past, we see three truths about our past that emerge. Here's the first truth that we see. We all have a past. Can I get an amen? We all have a past. Paul mentions here, starting in verse 3, his past. And, and there are two different categories when it comes to our past. The first is this. We all have past biographies. Look what he says in verse 3. I am a Jew born in Tarsus and Cilicia, but brought up in this city, Jerusalem, educated at the feet of Gamaliel, according to the strict manner of the law of our fathers, being zealous for God as all of you are this day. So Paul here is talking about his biography where he was born, who his parents were, 
where he went to school. And you and I, we all have a biography, right? Things that we did not control or ask for or choose, but things that just were realities in our lives. The the city we were born in, the area we grew up in, uh, the parents that we had, the schools that we went to. Those were all things that are just part of our biography. Not necessarily things that we chose, but things that were just true because that's what God had ordained for our life. And so Paul's mentioning here his past biography. These are things that are beyond your control, both good and bad. If you look at your past biography, you have things in your life that are good that were beyond your control. Perhaps you have very good parents or had very good parents that, that loved you and nurtured you and watched over you. And that, that's good, and you didn't control that. That's just the lot that God gave you in this life. Or perhaps you had bad parents, parents that weren't loving and nurturing. And, and that's part of your, but you can't control that. That was their decision to, to treat you in that way. But we all have past biographies. Secondly, we have past sins. Past sins. Look what Paul says there in verse 4. I persecuted this way, talking about Christianity, I persecuted this way to the death binding and delivering to prison both men and women as the high priest and the whole council of elders can bear me witness. From them I received letters to the brothers, and I journeyed toward Damascus to take those who also who were there, bring them in bonds to Jerusalem and to be punished. Paul's saying, I was so zealous for Judaism that I was anti-Christ. I, I did not want the message of Jesus to spread because I thought it would destroy the, the, the Jewish foundations of my life. And so I was so zealous to protect Judaism and to lessen the influence of Jesus that I was involved in persecuting Christians, those of the way, even to death, dragging men and women out of their homes, throwing them in jail. He was a, a persecutor of early Christians. And just like Paul, we all have a past. We've all chosen to do some things that are wrong, that are evil, that are destructive, things that we chose to do as acts of rebellion against God, things that we are not proud of. Every one of us in this room has a past biography, and every one of us in this room has a past record, if you will, spiritually speaking. I mean, who in this room would not hang their head in shame if a replay of your life was thrown up on the video screen? Anybody? All of us would. We all have things that we chose to do that were wrong and were destructive and were acts of rebellion against God. Disobedience, transgression, sin, missing the mark. We all have that in our past. And Paul here is referring to his past. He was responsible for seeing Christians arrested and killed. That's why Paul said over in 1 Timothy, that he was the chief of sinners. He understood how dark his past was. The Bible reminds us that we all have a dark past. All have sinned, the Bible says, and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.10 says, There is none righteous, no, not one. We all have a past. Now, let me tell you what Paul's doing here. Paul's not magnifying his past. He's not bragging about his past. He's not languishing in the details of his past. Paul simply wants to highlight how God has radically changed the trajectory of his life. He's mentioning his past, not glorifying it. He's mentioning it so that people can see how God has changed him. 
And I think it's helpful as Christians that we look back at our past so we can see just how much God has changed our lives. And I think if we're not Christians, it's important we look at our past to see just how much we need God to change our lives. And so here in this text, we see that we all have a past. Let me give you a second truth about the past. This is profound. You ready? Our past is past. Our past is past. Have you figured out yet there's nothing you can do about your past? None of us can go back and change anything. I've heard people say through the years, you know, famous people or movie stars or entertainers, I heard say something like this, I have no regrets about my life. What a foolish statement. What a foolish statement. You say, Wade, do you have regrets? Absolutely. And if you understand who God is, you understand your past, you have regrets too. We've all done some things that are immoral and wicked and dumb, right? We all have a past, and none of us in this room can go back and change it at all. And that's kind of frustrating. If we had a redo, we would redo, but we don't have a redo. We just have a, uh uh-oh, look at my past. We all have a past, and the past is past. Look what he says in verse 4. I persecuted this way. That word persecuted is the aorist tense in the Greek language, which means it's, it's simple past tense. I persecuted the way. That's what I did in my past. Nothing I can do about my record. I persecuted those who were Christians. There's nothing we can do to change our past, but listen, by God's grace, we can get past our past. So wait, how do you get past your past? Well, here's the third point about our past. God, and this is so good, God can redeem our past. God can redeem our past. So wait, how does God redeem our past? If we've all got things in, 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 our, in our rear view mirror that we're not proud of, our, our, our biographies, our past, how in the world can God redeem that? Well, there are three ways that God redeems our past. Number one, by forgiveness. Look what he says down in verse 16. After he shares the story of his encounter with Jesus on the road to Damascus, more on that a little bit later, in verse 16 he mentions a man named Ananias sent by the Lord to come and minister to him, lay hands on him so Paul could have his sight back. He was blinded on the road to Damascus. And then Ananias gives him his kind of first marching orders. And in verse 16, here's what Ananias, this early Jewish Christian, says to Paul. Now, why do you wait? In other words, you've encountered Christ, you've called him Lord, uh, Acts uh, 9.17 says he was filled with the Spirit at this point. Why do you wait? Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins, calling on his name. It's time to be baptized and to follow Jesus with your life. Now, some people look at this verse mistakenly and say that this means you have to be baptized to be saved. That's what it looks like at first reading. Rise and be baptized and wash away your sins. Uh, and, and I would say, well, that's a pretty problematic verse if it doesn't have the next phrase calling on his name. Or it could be translated in light of calling on his name or because you have called on his name. The idea here is this. You've called on his name. You've called him Lord. You've desired to follow him with your life, surrender to him. You've been filled with the Spirit. You're a Christian. Now in light of that, it's time to rise up, be baptized as an outward symbol of what God has done inwardly and and enjoy the forgiveness of sins that God offers. Warren Wiersbe says this, We are saved by calling on the Lord by faith. 
And we give evidence of that faith by being baptized. According to Acts 9, 17, Paul was filled with the Spirit before he was baptized. And this would indicate that he was already born again. It is the calling on the name in faith, not the baptizing, that affects the cleansing. And so Ananias is saying, hey, in light of your calling on his name, get baptized. As this outward symbol of what God has done inwardly. as an act of obedience to him. But notice here that his calling on the name, his faith in Christ is what has affected his forgiveness. The forgiveness of his sins. Yes, Paul had a past, but because he embraced Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, his past was forgiven. All of his sins, past, present, and future, were forgiven at that moment. And that is glorious for you and for me. Because if we place our faith in Jesus Christ as our personal Lord and Savior, all of our past is washed in the blood of the Lamb. It is forgiven by a holy God. It is taken away so there's no longer a barrier of impurity between us and God. And because of that, we can be reconciled to God and call Him Father. Isn't that glorious? Forgiveness is what he's saying here. I was forgiven. Yes, I have a past, but God forgave my past and God forgave all of my sins. So wait, how could God do that? How could God forgive us of all of our sins? He's holy. How can he do that? Well, he made forgiveness available by sending his only son to this earth to go to the cross and die for your sins and my sins. On the cross, Jesus took all of our sin on himself. Think about every wicked thing you've ever done, every wicked thought, every careless word, everything you've ever done, everything that that brings shame and guilt into your life. Jesus took it all upon himself. And on the cross, he took the punishment of God for us. He took our punishment, our chastisement. He died in our place. And because of that... Because he shed his blood, if we embrace him as our Lord and Savior, he gives us the gift of forgiveness. Now, hey, quick question. Who wouldn't take that gift? You would have to be so uninformed or proud not to say, I need forgiveness. I have a past. And my only hope is for God to redeem it. My only hope is for forgiveness. God redeems our past through forgiveness. God also redeems our past by transformation. Look what it says in verse 10 of this same passage. Verse 10. On the road to Damascus, he's encountered by this bright light. Jesus identifies himself. The risen Lord Jesus encounters Paul. And I said, what shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said to me, rise and go into Damascus, and there you will be told all that is appointed for you to do. Since I could not see because of the brightness of that light, I was led by the hand by those who were with me and came into Damascus. You know what Paul is saying there? When I was encountered by the risen Lord Jesus, I believed it really was Jesus. And, and I believed it to such a degree, I asked for instructions. I said, Lord, Adonai, Lord, what would you, or kurios in the Greek, uh, and deny in the Hebrew, what would you have me do? I believe this is Paul's conversion. I believe as he surrenders to the lordship of the risen Lord Jesus, he believes he's alive, he's there encountering him on the road to Damascus, speaking to him, he identifies himself as Jesus of Nazareth, and then Paul surrenders to his lordship. Lord, what would you have me do? I believe that's when Paul was born again. Paul was saved. And we see the transformation. He goes from 
persecuting, listen, he goes from persecuting followers of Jesus to obeying Jesus. How incredible is that? His life was transformed. So how does God redeem our past? He changes the trajectory of our lives. Nothing we can do about our past. But guess what? If we allow God to have his way in our life, he will change our future. Amen? There's a third way that God redeems our past. And that's by using your past for good. Look what happens. Fast forward to verse 22 very quickly. Verse 22. Paul is speaking to this Hebrew crowd, this Hebrew mob. And he mentions his mission to go far away to the Gentiles and preach the gospel. And because he mentions Gentiles, this Jewish mob flies into a frenzy. Look what it says. Up to this word, they listen to him. Then they raise their voices and said, Away with such a fellow from the earth, for he should not be allowed to live. What was his crime? He said, Gentiles. The Jews had such disdain for the Gentile world that when he said, I've been sent by God to the Gentiles, they said, hey, it's time to kill him. It's time to kill him. That's what he's saying. And as they were shouting and throwing off their cloaks and flinging dust into the air, the tribune ordered him to be brought into the barracks. So the Roman soldiers wanted to get him out of the mob. They knew he was in danger. And they said that he should be examined by flogging to find out why they were shouting against him like this. So the Roman soldiers said, we'll get to the bottom of this. Let's flog him. Now, you understand Roman flogging was not some uh, neat little clean punishment. It was awful. They would take a cat of nine tails, just like they took with Jesus Christ, with pieces of leather. And in that leather, there were embedded pieces of metal and, and glass and bone that would that tear into the flesh. And every time that, that whip was laid across someone's back and pulled away, it would pull strips of flesh with it. It was an awful punishment. So the Roman soldier is talking tough. We'll get to the bottom of this. Let's flog him. So we know what's really going on with this guy named Paul. Look what happens next. But when they stretched him out for the whips, Paul said to the centurion who was standing by, is it lawful for you to flog a man who is a Roman citizen and uncondemned? Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Paul throws his credentials on the table. Remember he said he was born in Tarsus in Cilicia, which was a Roman province in Asia Minor under Roman control. He did not buy a citizenship as many bought their citizenship. He was born into the Roman Empire. And he's saying here, listen, I'm a Roman citizen. You sure you want to do this? Look what happens next. When the centurion heard this, he went to the tribune and said to him, what are you about to do? For this man is a Roman citizen. So the tribune came and said to him, tell me, are you a Roman citizen? And he said, yes. The tribune answered. Here, I just said this. I bought this citizenship for a large sum. Paul said, but I'm a citizen by birth. So those who were about to examine him withdrew from him immediately. And the tribune also was afraid for he realized that Paul was a Roman citizen, that he had bound him. You know what happens here? Paul appeals to his past that he didn't even choose where he was born, who his parents were. And because of his past, he escapes this flogging. God even used his past, didn't he? For good. And guess what? God can take your past, those things that have shaped your life, good, bad, whatever, and he can somehow, in a way only God can, use your past in the here and now for good. He shaped you for a reason. He has a plan and purpose for your life, and he can even use your past for what he has for you next. Amen? And so we see here 
That even though we have a past and our past is past, God can redeem our past. So let me give it to you this statement. God can, or our past can become the canvas that God paints his masterpiece of grace on. And that's what Paul's doing. Paul doesn't spend a lot of time talking about his past. But Paul, by mentioning his past, is laying that canvas out to show the Hebrew crowd and the Roman soldiers, here's what God has done by his grace. And if you will allow God to have his way in your life through Jesus Christ, your past, your past, as checkered as it may be, can become a canvas for God's grace in your life as he makes a masterpiece out of your life. Wow. So we see here this first question. Does your past define you and control your actions in the here and now? Or is your past a canvas for the grace of God? Got a, a show that I love. I grew up watching it. My whole family watched it. I don't know why we watched this show. Uh, but on PBS growing up, there was this guy named Bob Ross. Anybody know who Bob Ross was? Guy had kind of a big afro. And he was a painter. And he talked about drawing the happy little trail and the happy little cabin and the happy little woods and the mountains in the background. And I don't know why, but we love watching that show. My whole family, we watched that show. And the other day, we were on Netflix, and guess what show I found? Joy of Painting with Bob Ross. And I said, kids, come here. I want you to see this. And so we've watched probably three or four Bob Ross shows. And it's just amazing because he starts with a canvas. And then he begins to put different colors and shapes, different ways on the canvas. And before you know it, it's beautiful, the the landscapes that he paints. Don't think of your past as irredeemable. Think of it as a canvas for the grace of God, if you will allow him to have his way in your life. There's a second question you've got to answer as you think about your story. The second question is this, what... Have you done with Jesus? What have you done with Jesus? Look with me in verse 6. Paul says, As I was on my way and drew near to Damascus about noon, a great light from heaven suddenly shone around me, and I fell to the ground and heard a voice saying to me, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? I answered, Who are you, Lord? He said to me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom you are persecuting. Now those who were with me who we, uh, with me saw the light but did not understand the voice of the one who was speaking to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? This is Paul's encounter with Jesus Christ. Two things. Paul, first of all, had an encounter. Had an encounter with the risen Lord Jesus. Jesus identifies himself. Jesus of Nazareth. So at that point, Paul understood that Jesus was alive, that he had been resurrected, that he was real, that he was authentic, that, that what he said was true. He had an encounter with the risen Lord Jesus. Which leads me to this question. Have you had an encounter with the risen Lord Jesus? Have you had a moment in your life when you've heard the good news about what Jesus Christ has done for you? And you had to make a decision. Yes, I will embrace him by faith and follow him. Or I will turn my back to him. Have you had an encounter with the risen Lord Jesus? He's alive. And as we sang earlier, our God saves. He still saves today. Amen? 
Have you had an encounter with him? And you might say, well, not really. Well, guess what? You are right now. Because I'm preaching Jesus. I'm preaching the truths of the gospel. Jesus died for our sins. He was buried early on the third day. He rose from the grave. He's alive today. He's defeated sin. He's defeated death. If you'll embrace him, you'll embrace forgiveness and eternal life. That's the gospel. You're being encountered with the realities of Jesus right now. This, guess what? This today can be your Damascus Road experience. You're going one way in life, doing your own thing, shaped and defined by your past and your present, and today you are meeting Christ, and that, if you will let it, will change everything. An encounter with Jesus Christ. And the second thing we see here is simple. Paul surrendered to Jesus as Lord. I've already made mention of that. What, what would you have me to do, Lord? Curios. What would you have me to do, Lord? That, that, that is the word spoken by bondservant to their master. It is, a, it is a laying down of rights. Paul is saying, you are alive, Jesus. You have pursued me by your grace. And I am surrendering to you in these moments. I'm laying down my life, laying down my rights. I want to follow you. I want you to be in charge. I am calling you Lord. We've reduced salvation in the American church to this, hey, just pray this sinner's prayer. And even if you don't really understand who Jesus is, just pray this sinner's prayer. Even if you don't understand that you're a sinner, pray the sinner's prayer and you'll be in. The, you'll be in. Salvation is when you call upon the name of the Lord. That's what the Bible says. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God has raised him from the dead, we will be saved. Romans 10.9, Romans 10.13, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's not like you say, hey Jesus, I'll take your forgiveness, I just won't take you. Don't work like that. When you're born again is when you say, I want to turn from the direction I'm going. I want to repent of my sin and I want to embrace the free gift of eternal life that Jesus offers. And because of that, I have no other option but to follow the one who saved me. That's what salvation is. That's when you're born again. He surrendered to Jesus as Lord. Now, there's nothing wrong with the sinner's prayer. That's the way I was saved. I called out to Jesus when I was nine years of age, but it was a a, a call to Jesus as Savior and Lord. I wanted to follow him. I wanted him in my life to forgive me and to lead me. How about you? Have you had an encounter with, with Jesus, have you surrendered to Jesus as Lord? I, I read a story recently in a book called "Unexpected Journey" by Tom Rainer, and this book's fascinating because Tom Rainer goes to people who were saved out of very different backgrounds, different world religions, different cults, and he interviews them to hear their story of how they came to Christ from their different uh, backgrounds. And I, I read a story about a lady named, lady named Kathy, and Kathy was a witch. I mean, like, the real deal witch. She was involved in uh, Wiccan religion and deeply involved in the occult. And, and, and Kathy lived a really rough life, and, and she bounced uh, from around into different uh, dysfunctional relationships. 
and she just had a really, a really tough background, a lot of that by her own choosing. And she met a certain lady uh, that she connected with, and that lady was, uh, was a witch, and this lady taught her how to be a witch, and she was, I mean, the real deal. She was, she was casting spells and, and seeing things happen as a result of her casting spells. She said, wait, can that, that, can, can that happen? Yeah, I believe the d- demonic realm's all over it. I mean, the, the demonic realm can make things happen in response to you casting a spell to make you convinced that it's true. And, and, and she was very involved in this, in this Wiccan religion and just so far from God and anti-Christian. Well, she married a certain man in North Carolina, and uh, this man's teenage daughter started going to a church there in North Carolina, and uh, she invited them to come. And so uh, Kathy, this witch, and her, uh, her husband went to church, and they were sitting in church on a Sunday morning. And in that service, she thought it was weird, but she did see an authenticity in the people. Something was different. And she saw a, a difference in her stepdaughter's life. She couldn't put her finger on it, but, but something was different. And then, shortly thereafter, she's considering these things. She begins to have a series of dreams about Jesus. The first night she thought, well, I had bad pizza last night, and that's just, you know, it's one of those weird things. And, 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 and she just kind of dismissed it. And then she had a, another dream and another dream about Jesus. And so now she's thinking about Jesus Christ as a result of these dreams. And then one day she's at work, and, and she worked with software, and she had this software glitch problem she couldn't fix, and her boss was really coming down on her about this issue, and she couldn't get it fixed. She was desperate. Uh, it was looking really bad at her workplace. So she sent out... Uh, an email to a list of contacts saying, hey, here's my issue. Can anyone help me with this software glitch so I can get it fixed? She got an email back from a gentleman that gave her the answer, and it was instantly fixed. She typed in the, the, the issue, and she put it into uh, practice, and it, it solved the software issue. And she looked at the guy's email. His email was from his name at Christianity.net. And here's the interesting thing. Right before she sent the email asking for help, she stopped and said, God, if you're real, would you help me to solve this problem? So she emails the guy and says, guess what? You just answered my prayer. Now I believe God's real. (laughs) And this guy she emailed had recently been through a class on apologetics, how to defend the faith of Christianity. So he was able to enter into this dialogue. I think it's all coincident, by the way. God's pursuing her, right? And this, this gentleman, through emails, able to answer her questions about Christianity and defend the faith and get her thinking about the gospel. Shortly thereafter, she bows her head and she calls on the name of the Lord Jesus and she's saved. And guess what she's doing now? Now she has a ministry reaching out to witches, leading them to faith in Christ. What is that, Wade? She had an encounter with Jesus. Jesus flat got her attention. He pursued her by his grace, and she surrendered to him as Savior and Lord, and her life has been transformed. Her past has been redeemed. She's being used by God. How about you? Have you had an encounter with the risen Lord Jesus Christ? 
So two very simple questions. We're going to close here. I'll get back to point three at some point in the future. Number one, does your past define you or does it magnify the grace of God? Number two, what have you done with Jesus? I want you to hear me very, very carefully. The Bible teaches that everyone in this room has a soul that will never die. And after we die, our soul, or when our bodies die, our soul will spend eternity in one of two places. Heaven, beauty, life, light, the presence of God, the joy of Jesus, forever and ever. That's one place our souls could spend eternity. The other is hell. That awful place called hell. A place of eternal separation from God. A place of conscious torment. Paying the penalty for your sins forever. Your soul, listen to me, your soul will spend eternity in one of two places, heaven or hell. And where a person spends eternity is based upon what they do with Jesus here in this life. This is not some religious talk. This is not preacher talk. This is not how the Baptists do things. Have you had an encounter with Christ? He loves you. He died on the cross for your sins. He defeated death itself. He walked out of his own grave. And he is alive and mighty to save. Today can be your Damascus road. What's your story?